This is an ABC podcast. Okie doke. Have you got your butterfly net in hand? Grab it if you haven't. And watch your step. We're right next to the bank of the Torrens River on Ghana country here in the heart of Adelaide. Please don't fall in the Torrens. Those of you that are not South Australian, it's not a good river to fall into. Um, you won't come out feeling very good. So try and stay away from the water. Um, don't but do breath, dive please. into the podcast of last week's show if you've arrived um, at the dorms late because we're on camp here on Science Friction and it's going well. Everyone's getting on. This is the CSIRO's Aboriginal Summer School for Excellence in Technology and Science and I'm living in with the nearly 40 Indigenous students from across Australia here. From Perth to the Torres Strait, they've come from far and wide and it's great to have you here with us too. I'm Natasha Mitchell. You have caught an enormous something or rather. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a dragonfly. It's huge. Poor thing. Like it was just innocent and rare. About to kill it. But I thought maybe we could keep this one and then if we get any more we'll let them go. Alana Delane. I'm a um, PhD candidate at the University of Adelaide, um, so working on parasitic wasps. My mission is to teach a bit more of an appreciation and an awareness of what's around them, which these kids have embraced wholeheartedly. Like a fishnet kind of looking. It's camouflaged, really, like, isn't it? Yeah. So as part of ABC's Walking Together, I'm bringing you powerful personal stories from three generations of Indigenous Australians today on racism in classrooms, on triumphantly pushing past the low expectations others can have for you, and on knowing who you are. But hey, this is a science camp too, so let's get some of that good stuff out by the river with our insect nets. I love it because I, when I was little, I used to do this in the backyard just for the fun of it. Like we'd dig up worms and like play with all the bugs and stuff. And then done things we wouldn't touch as the real big grasshoppers because they're scary. <laughs> this is year 11 student Catherine. She's from Queensland. I've always had uh, interest in biodiversity because when I was learning about it in school, I just found it fascinating the way things like adapted to their um, surroundings and how strong um, some animals are. What do you think you might study? In, in uni? I definitely want medicine, like it's either medicine or science and even in science the medicine side of it because I'm so fascinated about the way humans work, like animals too but mostly humans, like our brain, the actual inner workings of our nerves and our nervous system and everything, I just find it so fascinating and to fix people with your knowledge of that, it's just, it's mind blowing to me. If you're Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander, you make up about 3% of Australia's population. But just under 2% of all students enrolled at university are Indigenous. That's grown by around half a percent over the last decade or so. When it comes to uni courses in the natural and physical sciences, IT and engineering, less than 1% of students are Indigenous. For first year medicine, that's around 2.4%. And in course, Completion rates are low, but this camp is about helping to change that. It's about road testing university. So my name's Malcolm Riley. I'm an epidemiologist with CSIRO Food and Nutrition. And things are about to get very 
real for these students right now. We're talking about their activities for the rest of the week and in particular their inquiry which is quite a lot of pressure for them. They'll need to spend a lot of their time thinking about the question that they want to investigate for the next few days and then they'll have to be ready to present it by next week. You're asking them to do a scientific experiment in two days? Scientific inquiry that might be an experiment but it might be some other activities. But yep, in two days, uh, yep, uh, they'll spend a lot of their hours in a day doing it. They'll be under a lot of pressure, but based on previous years, they do a great job. So they've got to collect data? They definitely have to collect data, they've got to interpret data, and they've got to present it. All of those are pressure situations for them. So the pressure is on from pretty much almost now, not quite, a couple of days. I think they'll feel it from tomorrow morning, yep. Research can be considered a, a dirty word. Seth Westhead is a young research scientist and a regular mentor on these camps. He comes from Awabakal and Wiradjuri country in New South Wales. Research was something that was done on Aboriginal people, not with Aboriginal people, and, and certainly not led by Aboriginal people. But as we get more Aboriginal academics in high positions within the academy. This is where we can start to see a change of the culture. So we need young people. All of the students present are curious and have an inquisitive mind. And from my perspective, that's all you need to be a scientist. The rest is just learning the specific language to answer the specific questions that you come up with. And that's just a process. Anybody can do that. We really need more Indigenous people in science. We've got so much work to do, but we need more Indigenous people everywhere. It's hard to access education for a lot of Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islander people. It's hard to walk two worlds of wanting to preserve your own culture and sense of identity. Sometimes studying a degree means sacrificing a cultural identity and sometimes staying strong to culture means sacrificing education. Perhaps no one knows this more than an Anunu education leader I meet at a gathering by the fire pit of the Wiltshire boarding house we're all staying at. My name is uh, Reuben Burton and I'm a director for education that's back in the land at APY. Anunu. Yeah, Anunu stands for, you know, all the people Bidindere, it's our language, and Yengundere is another language. As we heard last week, students from the remote traditional lands of the Anunul people in South Australia come and stay here at Wiltshire to go to high school in Adelaide. Now, you know, looking at, you know, there is two worlds, two big worlds coming together. You know, the Western world is really important that Anunul people need to get educated through through school, to get to get a job, earn money, travel around, you know, speak language, English, and understand where the Western world comes from. And the way why we see it's really important, you know, kids to university, but first they need to grow, they need to build, they need to understand where they're coming from and you know, get educated to get to university. So it's, it's a big thing, you know, for another people. 
helping students on this summer school know where they've come from is a big part of this week. Some don't know a lot about their family's Indigenous heritage. And Ghana elder Rosemary Wanganeen blows their mind on day one. And it saddens me that we need to have this conversation across our communities, across the country. But we need to have them because something terrible is occurring with what I'm calling intra-cultural racism. Born in 1955, Rosemary is a member of the Stolen Generation. At age nine, she was taken by welfare agencies from her father. After her mother died, there were seven kids and a two-day-old baby. By 17, Rosemary had married and given birth to her first child. A long life on, and Rosemary now runs her own business focused on supporting Indigenous healing. It's called the Australian Institute for Loss and Grief. And so in this context, I want to talk about the impact of history and how we as Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islander people can judge each other on the colour of our skin. That really hit home for me because, um, like, obviously everyone's faced discrimination, but being a half-caste Aboriginal is extremely difficult. Daily I get, you're not an actual Aboriginal, you're, you're only on the inside, it's not on the outside, like, yeah, so that talk really just confirmed with me that yeah I should be proud of my culture I shouldn't let things like that make me ashamed and if they are going to be like that that's a reflection on their personality and not on me. That's such a powerful realisation to have got from that session. And um, I feel like it's an issue with most lighter skinned Aboriginals. I wish there was just everyone could get that cultural identity talk. I knew there were going to be cultural activities, but I didn't think they were going to be as moving and as powerful as they are. When you look at the students here at the summer camp and you think about your own situation at the same age, so these are students leaving year 10, going into year 11, what was your relationship to education as you were growing up? Good question. It was profoundly weakened, so we'd left Point Pierce and under the exemption certificates that we had to be uh, exempted from being an Aboriginal. Point Pierce was a mission? Yes, yep. And then we had to assimilate, so you're not Aboriginal anymore and now you have to assimilate to become white people. And so we're on, in Clare, a white mainstream town, only Aboriginal family there, I remember loving primary school and so then one day I was running late for class and um, rushed into the classroom, sat down and uh, the teacher stopped the whole class and she said, Rosemary Wangadi, do you know what we ought to do with you? We ought to put a cardboard carton on the side of your desk and on the front of it and on the other side so the children can't see you and you can't see the children and just write dunce all the way around it. I remember something happened inside my heart because that teacher was a teacher, she was an adult, and she's white. She must be telling the truth. I then took that all the way into my primary school, high school, and I think it had a, 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 even an effect on me um, not staying at uni in the 90s. Because that little seven-year-old, she kept reminding me, you know, look out, look out, don't forget you're a dummy, so quick, get out before somebody finds out. It took me many years to get, reclaim back my faith and trust in my own abilities, my confidence, my self-esteem and my intelligence. 
My mum and a part of the governmental policy at that time wasn't allowed to go to school past year six. That was the rule. And that was because she was a Torres Strait Islander woman? Yeah. That, that edict was in place because of that? Part of the Act and Education Act for Indigenous peoples, that they were only allowed to go to um, school into that year level because it was thought that their intellectual capacity was only at that level and they could not learn anymore. You know, there was nothing that you could do. If you weren't to listen to, at that time of the Protector Act, life would be very, very hard and difficult for you. Scientist and educator Torres Webb is a coordinator of the Inquiry for Indigenous Science Students program run by CSIRO. When I progressed into high school, I really wanted to continue my further studies into university and pursue some of my passions and interests around environmental science and management and we best preserve and protect our land. I went through to high school, some of the teachers said to me, why are you aiming to study some of the board academic subjects? Science, maths. Yes, yeah. Chemistry, physics, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. They're the subjects to open your pathway in career into university. I said, why aren't you studying in the vocational education and vet-related subjects that would be more suited to you? And the expectation was, you need to be doing something that's more aimed at your level, like the rest of the Indigenous people. So looking at that academic side was out of reach. It actually stirred up a bit of a fire in my belly to say, well, actually, I can achieve this regardless of what your thoughts are and low expectations of me. I know I can achieve that, particularly with the support and family and community. I ended up applying for a cadetship the Australian Fisheries Management Authority, AFMA. Yeah, I did an environmental science management degree at Southern Cross University in Lismore, northern New South Wales. It's Saturday afternoon, day four of camp, and because you can't be what you can't see, the students are now sitting in the dining hall in a special speed meet and greet. So Cassie, I work for CSIRO, I work in their IT area, which basically means I help uh, scientists with their computer needs, whether that be for their experiments or their data collection and how to process their data. I also have a background in mechanical engineering and electronics engineering. Uh, what are your interests? I'm interested in more of the science kind, like biology and then maths side of things. Yeah, and accounting, like accounting. Um, so we're here at Wiltshire in the dining hall. This is Scott Phillip, one of the camp leaders. Uh, with a lot of chatter and connection going on here as the group of students are speaking to a whole bunch of diverse science, technology, engineering and mathematics professionals working in their fields. Their moms, their dads, their grandmothers, their recent graduates, their internationals, their people who have moved into state, rural, regional, city to remote. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of professionals here and you know for so many students science is a subject, science is a classroom, science is a, is a teacher. The power of one-on-one -on -one conversation is incredible. What I'm loving about this session is that I'm seeing some of the slightly shyer students volunteering questions, speaking up. When it's one-on-one -on -one, it's a hundred percent engagement, hundred percent. Everyone's into it. 
So my name's Tina Brody. I'm a Yandrawanda Yarrawaka woman living on Ghana country and I'm currently over halfway now through my PhD um, which is looking at the social determinants of health and social and emotional well-being for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. So you were just presenting to the summer camp? Yeah so we were just talking to them about I guess journeys and careers you know kind of our pathways into how we got here and, and what that looks like and I guess any insights that might be useful for them you know at this stage when they're looking into their future and thinking about where they might want to go and how they might want to get there so where were you when you were entering year 11 aboriginal kids in my school at the end of year 12 there were three of us that graduated i think so you know and this is in a town where most of the population are aboriginal people So the opportunities for us going into year 11 were really about, it's like almost like survival. It was like the school was just telling us whatever they could to keep us there. Tina grew up with her family in the mining town of Kalgoorlie in Western Australia. Our family weren't from that town, so my parents moved there when they got married. Dad's not Aboriginal, mum is, and so we were sort of outsiders to the town in terms of our Aboriginal identity and our cultural connection, but we were Aboriginal to the rest of the town, so you're like one of those people that doesn't fit. And so for your developing identity, it's really complex. So, you know, you're experiencing so much racism from non-Aboriginal people, like, like the most outward blatant racism that people don't think exists is what you here as a child everyone telling you that who you are innately is wrong and bad that's what made it almost easier to leave um, when it was time to make the decision to go to university and no one said to me at school you could go to university that was never ever a word uttered to me so it wasn't actually a pathway that I thought was possible until later once I was working in Aboriginal sort of affairs and really going oh I really am passionate about this what else could I do you know how would I get a job that's more like that was kind of what drove me to sort of look. For a lot of students particularly remote students studying at high school or university might involve moving away from home which can be fun but also challenging. Jasmine is a 19 year old medical student at Adelaide University, a student leader and a mentor here on the summer camp. She left her family in the small mining town of Roxby Downs to head to boarding school. Family is everything in Indigenous culture. It is everything. And then being away from your family and, you know, you grew up with all your cousins and all your uncles and your aunties and then you don't really have anyone when you move away into the city, which is really, really hard. Growing away from culture was particularly hard, especially when I went to boarding school. I was called, unfortunately, very many, many, many harmful names by my own Indigenous people, which was really, really hurtful getting called an Oreo and stuff like that, it really hurts. And when you don't know your own cultural identity like I did back then, it was even more of a sting. But then I started going on camps quite similar to this, actually. I went to one in Queensland. I went to a few in Sydney. And being surrounded by other Indigenous students that had the same interest in me, like they loved science or they loved learning, that really, really helped me. I found that I'm not alone when it comes to my cultural journey. Jasmine loves university, loves living on the campus, loves studying medicine and surgery and loves her science. Growing up, I loved machines and I always used to watch documentaries with my dad. We have family in America um, on my mum's side, so when we went to America, we knew one thing, we wanted to go to Kennedy Space Centre. That was like the one thing I wanted to do. We got to walk under the rocket and it was amazing. And then we went back again when I was 13 and we actually went to Houston. So I've been to both of the places and it was phenomenal, like absolutely phenomenal. It's like you just don't know what's out there 
and I just love that. I remember the assignment that I fell in love with biology and I did an assignment in year eight and I did on the cardiovascular system and I loved it. That was like my first thing. I was like, yeah, I can, I can really study this for a full time. Growing up in a community as small as Roxby Downs, you really get to know the needs of country towns, I guess, so to speak. And a lot of country towns, they need doctors. I came to the realisation that, you know, if I wanted to help my community, what is the best way I can show my community that I care about them and that I want to help them? But in her first year of medical school, Jasmine was called back home for sorry business after two family members died. This is a really important grieving time for extended Indigenous families. It was the best year of my life and the worst year of my life, to be honest. But the med school's very old <laughs> and they're not really fully aware quite yet of the commitments of sorry business and how long you do have to be away and why you have to go back home and do all this type of stuff. So that's why it was pretty hard. I had to go home for about a month and a half to say goodbye to some family members, which was really hard, but I, I loved what I was learning. Jasmine is back doing first year again to catch up on the coursework she missed. And this is where PhD student Tina Brody thinks things could be different. She's a research assistant at the South Australian Health and Medical Research Institute. People might see that as, you know, sorry business, pulling us away from what we should be doing. But it's not. That's, that's our cultural value. But the, the dominant society and the workplaces or university institutions that we're in just aren't able to respond to that. You know, those demands, don't get me wrong, are immense and they are there, but why can't we say, actually, I have sorry business at that time and therefore that's what this commitment will look like and this is what I'm able to deliver on for my work at that time? You know, it, it's about the system actually catching up to our cultural values rather than us having to defend them or pick one. We are capable and I think that we're starting behind because of what was done to us through the process of um, colonisation, living in a sort of colonial environment, you know, we're behind because of that, not for any other reason, you know, so we're having to, like they say, we have to work harder and smarter and all of those things and being strong in yourself and your identity really sets you up to be able to bring that to whatever you do and can ground you for years to come. That's the future but the past matters too to Rosemary Wanganeen in her work with young Indigenous people. These children have also come from uh, a culture that many of them, if not all of them, knows that genocide was committed upon their ancestors. What adults say in the educational system, what they always tend to miss is past traumas. So the student comes because we don't know what their story is, what their history is. They could be in uni for a whole year doing fantastic and then they'll have a trigger unbeknownst to even themselves and then they go to somebody to talk to them and if they haven't got the skills they're not going to know how to help the student manage those emotions that um, have traumatised them. And this is part of why some students don't finish their university degrees. For camp mentor and university student Tiani Adamson, attending this very same summer science camp 10 years ago now as a year 10 student herself changed her life 
dramatically. She'd grown up with her loving mother. She knew she was Indigenous. Her father was an Indigenous man, but she'd never met him. I felt close in a way of the cultures and communities that I had been immersed in, but to my own mob, quite disconnected. Strong in the identity of, of that being a part of who I am, but not strong in, in my own law and my own cultural way. And after going through that week and, you know, being able to engage in things like fire pit night with all these people of varying, I guess, stages and phases of understanding their own cultural identity and seeing that I wasn't the only one, I felt inspired to learn more about my own cultural identity. So when I got home, decided to give myself a bit of time to really think about if I wanted to get in contact with my dad or not. So this camp prompted you to find your Indigenous family? Absolutely. It had such a, a huge impact on, on that part of my life culturally and inspired me to... It took me a few more months of reflecting and thinking about that that sparked the journey of me getting in touch with my dad for the first time. Um, so I rang him in the school holidays of my grade 11. What was that like for you? Were you nervous? Yeah. Excited? Yeah. Anxious? Yeah, I was all, all of those things, nervous, excited and anxious. I remember calling Dad for the first time and I'm pretty sure it went to Message Bank and he called me back and I just remember like feeling that crazy like butterfly feeling and that funny feeling that you get in your throat when you get a bit nervous. So that was pretty crazy. I had a really quick chat to him then and said he was at work. Yeah, I remember him asking what my, what my name was and, and I said that I was Tiani Adamson, Sarah Adamson's daughter and it was a hard thing to navigate because I'm like, what do I, what do I say here? <laughs> and he said, fair dinkum, literally what he said to me on the phone. And then it was quiet for a little bit and he asked how old I was and what footy team I barracked for, which is Hawthorne, which is also who Dad barracks for, so he was stoked about that. Yeah, I had such an interesting feeling in my stomach, but I knew that it was the start. Once that I had contacted him for the first time, that my life would never be the same again. That that was a new thing that was going to be in my life and that it was there to stay. And Tiani is looking forward to visiting her extended family on Thursday Island one day soon. Back at camp, the students are hard at work on their inquiry projects. So today we're doing uh, inquiries. Hypotheses have been set, experiments plotted, results are being collected. This is science, people. What is Matthew's group up to? Uh, my group has decided to test if people relate taste to brand. I am loving this pile of chocolate in front of you, Matthew. Is this your experimental material? Yes, yes it is. We have uh, eight blocks of chocolate in total. Uh, what brand do you believe product C was from out of Cadbury, Lint, Wickermakers and Green and Blacks? Hmm. I'm going to say Green and Black. In other groups, insects are being counted and classified, bird done. skulls are being measured, vegan mince is being fried. Um, we decided to do an experiment based on food products which were either vegan based or animal based and we were seeing if the general public were subconsciously persuaded to enjoy animal products over plant based products. 
Well, we had four categories. So we had mince, bacon, cheese and milk. And so we served up... Our young people are amazing. They are intelligent, inquisitive, driven, motivated, passionate. And it's providing opportunities for young people to see that and truly believe it that we need to have. As Aboriginal people, we have an opportunity to take charge of research that is of benefit to our communities. We have an opportunity to take both the cultural knowledge that we hold, take the knowledge of Western science, bring them together for the benefit of our people, for the benefit then of society at large. We have a lot to give and communities have a lot to gain from engaging with Aboriginal-led research. The more that we are included in and, and afforded opportunities to be involved within society, whether that be science, finance, government, the more cohesive I believe we are going to be as a society, as a community, as an Australian community. And as Indigenous people, we have a lot to offer. We have been here since the first sunrise. We have been here for all of time. This is a place that we are connected to within our very essence. And mainstream society has a lot that they could gain from including us within the various different faculties that, that exist within today's society, science being one of those. It's the final morning of camp. Nerves are high. The students are about to present their project results to a full auditorium. Scientists are here, cultural leaders, even some parents have rocked up. Many of the students look genuinely terrified. So on to our results. From this graph, graph number one, it is evident that the meat-based products were greatly preferred by the participants than the plant-based products. In regards to milk, 10 out of right. uh, As you can see from here, uh, Cadbury is the highest first preference, then followed by London. Before I came here, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Every time I was asked, I just said, I don't know, shrugged my shoulders and brushed it off. But now I actually have an idea of what I might want to do, specifically looking at sports physiology. Um, this they survive, and there's a real feeling of relief in the room and pride. Got to be about one of the best and worst experiences of my life, because I'm so happy that I got to come here and experience all of this, meet everyone, but I'm just sad that it's ending. I'm sad that we all have to 
leave now because like on the first day I was like I'm going to my room that's it that's me for the day but like as every day went on I started to like become more open with people because I've delivered these people for like another week or so so like there's no point in just hiding in the corner or something because I want to make this the best experience that I can. Yeah I really sensed that there was a sort of unfolding for you across the week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I probably couldn't imagine better people to spend these nine days with. What did it give you beyond friendship? Beyond friendship? Probably just uh, a stronger sense of myself and yeah, I, yeah. For these students, summer school doesn't end with this party. They'll be mentored by CSIRO for these last two years of high school. It's such a world away from what Rosemary Wanganeen, the Ghana elder on camp, experienced when she went to school in the early 1960s, where her seven-year-old self was shamed by a school teacher for being Aboriginal. Where's that seven-year-old now? Yeah, bless She's still there. She's still there to remind me every now and again, but I've got more control of her now. And um, But since I found her and healed her, together we reclaimed back our faith and trust, confidence, self-esteem and intelligence from that teacher, reclaiming them back. And we're just standing on the outside of the schoolyard, um, leaning up against the fence, and I said to my seven-year-old, now you tell that teacher what for. Tell her what you couldn't tell her on that day, and I just let her rip. <laughs> you did this? Yeah. yeah, it was a part of healing her mm. and reconnecting to her to grow her up so she's not a seven-year-old in me anymore and overreactive. And um, so together now we're moving forward and I'm taking her back to uni. <laughs> At 63, Rosemary is doing a Masters of Philosophy at Adelaide University now, where she's a cultural advisor too. And my thanks to all the students and staff involved in CSIRO's Aboriginal Summer School for Excellence in Technology and Science and to the Wiltshire Boarding School for having me stay. I'm on Twitter at Natasha Mitchell. Join the ABC for Walking Together 2020 on the path to reconciliation. Share your thoughts. Hashtag Walking Together 2020. More info, ABC c.net.au slash walking together. I'll catch you. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.